Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Bobak Moini, previously on the podcast in episode 45, where he discussed the co-founding of Laser Clinics Australia. He kindly agreed to come back to the studio to address the economic impact of the COVID virus on business in general, as well as more specifically, the cosmetic industry. In our discussion, we cover strategies that businesses can explore to increase their chances of survival, advice on self-funding your business and navigating through the difficult proposition of potential liquidation. Hello, IA World. We are back. Jake is resurrected from the dead. We're now calling him Jesus. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm back. It's, what, about a week and a half since I was on my deathbed. Yeah. And uh, now I'm feeling much better. So thank you for all of your kind, happy well wishes, etc. Um, I don't know what I had. We were just discussing it with uh, our guest here, Bobak. Yeah. I don't know what I had, but it was the most sick I've ever been Um and it hit me for six, and for about 10 days, I couldn't move or do anything. But the great thing is I've lost seven kilos, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. So um, there's always a silver cloud at the end of the whatever it's called. It's like your, your take on Weight Watchers. Very yeah, extreme, yeah. though, Jake. I call it COVID sculpt. <laughs> Jake, should I be worried we're sitting in the same room? No, 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 no. I, I've quarantined for another week. And uh, I'm sat here with my mask on, and you're at the other end of the room, and we're Great. okay. Great. I've just taken another step back, yeah. just in case. <laughs> yeah. So um, so the episode today that we're going to do is, well, we've been focusing a lot on physical health and the impacts of uh, coronavirus on people's well-being and death rates and all these sorts of things. We, we've sort of spoken about that at length, but what we haven't touched on really is the impact that the virus is going to have on the economy, people's jobs, people's businesses, and how that's all going to, I guess, pan out in the end. And I guess in particular, our industry, the beauty and cosmetic industry, there's a lot of people out there like myself, business owners, injectors like yourself, Jake, um, who really don't know how this is all going to end up. So we thought we've got access to um, the infamous Mr. Moini, who's got a, a, a world of experience in this industry and in business in general. And we thought, let's get him in. Um, have a bit of a chat about his thoughts on the current economic climate, where he thinks it might go, and again, in particular, drilling down into the cosmetic industry into what it's going to look like as we crawl out of this, I guess, hibernation period and what people can do to try and ensure that their businesses are going to survive and be successful into the future. And if we get to a point where certain businesses do need to close down, what does that look like? Yeah. So welcome back, Mr. Moyni. Did not think you'd have me back for a second time. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, so you were with us for our episode on LCA or Laser Clinics Australia. That was a, a real stormer that went down really, really well. And it resonated with a lot of people because it's information that a lot of people don't really know about. Uh, they probably don't even know where Laser Clinics started. So that was a good episode. This one's slightly different. So what have you been doing in COVID times, first of all? Is it wrong to say I've actually been enjoying the social isolation? <laughs> I generally have a very busy social calendar, so it's been great to lie on the couch and catch up on very old movies. 
Um, I watched the Hitchcock classic Psycho, very close to home, I'd have to say. <laughs> and I watched Dr. No. I know. Oh, Bond. <laughs> the Bond, the original. Sean Connery, the first Bond movie made. So I've been enjoying the old movies. It's funny watching these old Sean Connery, James Bond films. I don't think you get away with the it's stuff that he got away with. Sexist. Yeah, it was pretty. It's pretty full on. I went back it was and watched basically one a few years. sexual harassment. Yeah. That's all it was. It was. Uh, if you want the real Bond, watch Daniel Craig. I watched the four of his movies again. Oh, Casino Royale is amazing, right? Oh, uh, brilliant! And the new Bond movie's been delayed until November due to the COVID. Yeah, I think everything's been pushed back at least six months now. Mm. We're on reruns. That's okay. We've got a lot of content to get through. Yeah. <laughs> so I think you said on your last podcast with us that actually you're essentially retired now. You're not, that you're not is doing correct. too much. That is correct. So you've probably got a unique outlook into all of this because you probably don't have that financial pressure or you know you're not, you're not looking ahead trying to forecast what's going to happen particularly but may i don't know what, what's your take on what's going on jake just to let you know that um this virus has impacted everyone retirees and the and not the rich and the poor and regardless of what industry you've been in unless you've been lucky enough to earn a to in a supermarket, this has hit everyone across the board, mm. including myself and my investments. So I understand the economics for both myself and the market at large. Yeah. So what what are your, I guess, high level views on the situation from an economic perspective? So we've spoken about things at length. You and I've had lots of conversations about how we think this is all going to land. We're all sort of David. The situation, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, it's grim. And it's going to get far worse. And, and there is a lot of uncertainty. Therefore, when I look at this industry in particular, we firstly don't know when the, clinic, when the, the beauty industry will, will be allowed to reopen. It may take many months. When it does reopen, we don't know the shape of how that's going to reopen. Then we don't know what the consumers are going to do. Are they going to be rushing in for treatments or... Are they going to be frightened with the economic fallouts that's come as a result of the COVID? Therefore, there will be far fewer cl clients coming into clinics. Therefore, my view overall is that there is uncertainty and there is likely to be a very long period of low economic activity across the board and in particular in our industry. Yeah. Where do you think the industry was before of this hit? I mean, this is all anecdotal and I don't use any clinic names, but there were kind of rumours that, you know, it, maybe it reached a bit of saturation point and some chains were struggling. Uh, Jake, if you look at before the COVID hits, and I'm talking about just before the COVID hits in the month of February, that was one of the most atrocious months, if not the most atrocious months in turnover for clinics right across Australia. Now, I have good connections right throughout the industry, all the way from Western Australia to New South Wales to Queensland, all the way across to New Zealand, and pretty much everyone was suffering in the month of February. Based on my estimates at that time, approximately 30% of the operators in this industry were running at a loss at that point. Now what COVID's done, COVID will flush out those that were not doing well before COVID mm. and they're likely to not survive this. So when the doors reopen, my estimate is at least 20% 
of the businesses in this space will not survive. Well, what was driving that downturn prior to all of this? Or was it just... I think it was, it was two factors. One, our industry has been extremely fortunate. For the last 20 years, we've operated with very little competition. What's happened, there's been a plethora of providers coming into the market in the last particularly five years. And if you go through a shopping center, when there was one clinic inside the shopping center, there are now four, five, six providers. Same number of customers, yet that's now being spread amongst mm. many providers. So in the past, we've managed to survive because the margins were higher. Now the margins have gone down because of competition. Two, the prices have been coming down and they're on a downward trend. Therefore, clinics that used to survive and do well in the, in the times where prices were higher are now finding it more difficult. And finally, costs keep going up, in particular rents and staff wages. Yeah, yeah, especially when you look at certain businesses that are traditionally set up to be volume models. When you've got, when you need a certain number of customers to sustain your break-even point every week and your say average cost per treatment is going down, you're sort of getting squeezed from both ends because you've got a volume issue because you've now got, as Bob Ack was saying, you've got a larger amount of suppliers servicing relatively the same number of people, although, you know, we do get increase in sat in uh, market penetration year on year a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the prices going down. So you've got your margins decreasing. So you've got volume being shared across a, a greater number of suppliers, prices being driven down. Um, and then you've got this on top of it, which is the economic uncertainty. And I think, yeah, there's some very real concerns there about what this is going well, to look like. Well, think about it. Let's say the clinics are closed for a period of five months. When those clinics return, will the landlords be asking for their rents? Will they be asking for 100% of the rents? Now, if that's the case, it's not going to be 20% of clinics that fail. It'll then be 50% of clinics that fail. Therefore, um, the clinics that open up will need to push back strongly to the landlords and to the suppliers in terms of how much they pay them if they are to survive. That's the only, that's the only course of action that they can take is to push back on both suppliers and on rental payments. Mm. I mean, David, maybe you can answer this better than I can, but if you're, say, in a Westfield setting, so a big shopping mall, presumably every single shopkeeper in that space is in the same position. And if Westfield say, no, we're not going to help you with your rent or budge, then the whole mall falls. It's not just, There will be you know, no shopping centre left. Exactly. If Westfield were to ask for full rent from every single provider, there will be no shopping centre left. Yeah. Although what Westfield will try to do is to try to get 100% from as many people as they can. Mm. Knowing full well that some people will not give them anything. What I'm suggesting is end up in the category that ends up giving them nothing. Mm. Play a game of blink with Westfield. Yeah. So, yeah, they'll, they'll basically demand and request money as for as long as they can and who and they'll just basically see who's willing to give in basically as you said like a game of a game of chicken or a game of blink basically is what it will come down to mm. i'm already seeing a lot of the business leaders these people that own you know hugely successful businesses that are just taking a very hard line and they've made it public around basically just they, saying they've no. said they are not paying any rents mm. they've been very open and specific about it we are not going to pay any rent mm. So if you are that 
business owner, where do you think um, the fairness lies? Obviously, you wouldn't be able to pay your rent today because you've got no money coming in. But do you just see maybe your rent? It's not a question of fairness. It's a question of survival. If you end up paying every time you take a dollar out of your accounts, there is a lower chance that your business will survive. Now, we live in a world where self-interest comes ahead of any other um, any other human traits, survival. And the best way to achieve that is to pay as little as possible. So it's cash flow, basically what you're Correct. saying. Correct. Otherwise, it will actually be worse for your landlord. It will be worse for your suppliers if your business should fold and there's not enough money to maintain that business well that's where i was going with that let's say your rental agreement is i don't know five years at x amount per week or month presumably the landlord just wants their money however that comes and and the landlord is acting out of self-interest sure but if you have have to extend that agreement by a year to pay uh you know what was owed over that three to five month period that might be something that could be there is always a commercial compromise there must always be an outcome that gets both parties happy. And perhaps what you've suggested is one of the outcomes that clinic salon owners could aim for. I think the challenge with this particular situation is that it's uncharted territory. We haven't seen something like this, particularly in our lifetimes. I mean, the closest thing that we've got from a a, a historical perspective would probably be the depression. But we didn't have this issue of the health concern going on at the same time. I don't think there's been a situation in our lifetimes or even our parents' lifetimes where they've purposefully shut down an entire economy for a prolonged period of time. Nor were were we that globalised back then. Yeah, so we don't know. We're all guessing. We're in a state of hibernation at the moment. So we've sort of like let off a bomb and we've like got it contained, like, but it hasn't gone off yet because we're all just in this sort of freeze frame. Yeah, I feel like the reality hasn't hit at all yet. And we're just in like a pause moment and i think bobak and i have discussed on the phone and maybe you and jake and we've discussed it as well as around this initial flurry of people that are going to come out wanting to get treatments done so it almost put you into a false economy or a false sense of security because you're going to have people who have been hibernating their wrinkles have built up their hair has grown they'll come in and get their treatments but then how long is it going to be till they come back again Uh, i'm calling it's going to be a reverse j curve there will be an initial spike but then it will be followed by a long period of decline. Decline in both in terms of the number of customers coming in and the amounts they're willing to pay for a treatment. Okay. So I guess we all agree that it's bad. We don't know how bad it's going to get. We know that there are probably an oversupply of customers in this space. Sorry, an oversupply of suppliers or people service providers in this space at the moment. So, Bobak, from your perspective, if you were still involved in this industry today what would your strategy be to ensure that your business is one of the businesses that survives? I don't believe there is any choice but to have lower prices when everything's opened up again. I I don't believe there's any choice. It will be a price-driven strategy and it's designed to capture market share. So step one, I don't believe there is any choice but to reduce prices. Step two, how do you remain profitable when your prices are lower? You either have to pay less to your suppliers and your landlords and or you need greater volume. What you need to do is to push back on both. You need to go back to your landlord and say, the lease I signed up for at $1,500 a square metre 
I'm only willing to pay $1,000 a square meter now or I'm walking away. Mm. And you physically have to be willing to walk away from that lease. You need to go to your suppliers regardless of the the price at which they were providing you goods prior to this, you need to push back. You need to get another 20, 30% off their prices because you will not survive otherwise. The third thing is you need to become more productive, more labor productivity. If you had eight staff before the COVID, you now need to provide the same number of services with five staff members. You need to make the staff provide the same treatment they were doing in 15 minutes, now in 10 minutes. So if I was to say we're switching on the business tomorrow and I only need, say, half of the number of staff that I needed before the crisis hit, and let's assume that there are many other businesses or the majority of other businesses are in exactly the same position, would that, would that not lead to a decrease in in wages, if there's an oversupply of people and we aren't needing as many people in jobs, will we see it go backwards? In, in this industry, the majority of wages are determined by government-mandated minimum requirements. I don't see a reduction of wages. But if they get to a point where they've got a, a large unemployment factor because businesses simply can't afford to pay people what, the say, the award is determining or demanding of people... I'm convinced that the government will not mandate reduced wages and I'm convinced the electorates will not buy it. So where does that leave so us? Because you'll have a lot of You need, you need more product. So it will be on the same salaries as before. You could probably take, not probably, you take <laughs> away the bonuses, but you need to run your staff more productively. Rather than having eight full-time staff, you run with five full-time staff. Or maybe you run with three full-time and three part-time to give you more ability to d d cope with the higher times of demand. And maybe to cope with that, you'd have to look at restructuring your hours or your days or, you know, because if, you, if you've got a skeleton crew, you can't run them seven days a week mm. indefinitely. I'm just wondering what's going to happen with, all, with say, 50% of the workforce in this industry that's no longer required. What are they going to do? I don't think it's going to be 50%. Let's call it 30%. And there was, yeah. there was always this industry, something quite interesting, there was always a shortage of staff for this industry. Mm. Now I'm talking in terms of both medical providers, doctors and registered nurses, as well as beauty therapists. That's oversupply. Whilst it will no longer exist, it will not lead to areas of large unemployment. There may be sh small areas of unemployment, but it will not be at the level of 50%. How do you feel, David, as a, an employer that your staff would you think they'll be more motivated they'll value their job more they'll you know potentially work harder for that initial period do, do you see that being a mental shift i think so i think that people by the time this all reopens and i've already had various casual conversations with you know a number of staff over the last few weeks and they're already itching to get back to work so i think that we will see people excited to come back to work. I do think even if it's for only an initial period of time, you will see people a lot more committed to their jobs mm. and working a lot harder because now they have a comparison. They yeah. beat like up, As I said, these, these are uncharted waters. We haven't been in a situation where you couldn't go to work, where you couldn't earn an income, where a large, a large number of people were on social security payments, whether that be job seeker or job keeper. We haven't really seen that before. So I think that people now have bad times to reflect upon mm. to make them appreciate how good they're going to have it when they get back to work. So yeah, to answer your question, I, I, I think that they will. Yeah. Um, 
You mentioned a couple of terms just there, job keeper and mm. job seeker. Can yeah. Look, I'm my disclaimer, I'm not, I'm not an expert <laughs> on this. It, I think everyone's learning as they go. The system's quite quite difficult to navigate. So I find anything that's sort of written by the government, you almost need another degree in English to understand yeah. <laughs> um, how to go through the process. Um, but from what I understand, um, people who had full-time or part-time jobs or who were casual employees who had been with their employer for 12 months or more, that have been stood down or had a significant, I think it's like 70%, like something like that, some percentage. I think it's more a 30% or more drop in wage. Decrease, they are eligible for the JobKeeper arrangement, which gives them $1,500 a fortnight before tax. Correct, yeah. Um, so the way that it works is that your employer signs up, they have to register um, through the ATO on um, MyGov websites and, and register to be an eligible um, to, to be eligible to actually pass those payments on to their staff. So I think initially well, we've been paying out of our own pockets the JobKeeper to our staff and that reimbursement now comes through at the beginning of May. So there's been a few weeks where if you've had the money, I think it's been optional. If you have the money, pay your staff. If not, then they're just going to have to wait yeah. until that money comes through. So it's sort of like maternity leave. The government pays you and then you pay, pay that on to your staff. Yeah. And it's sort of... Uh, an incentive to keep people employed. So when we come out of the mess, that people still have jobs to go back to. So I think that's a good move. And then the job seeker is for people that can't find jobs or didn't have jobs, or I think casual employees who hadn't been with their employer for 12 months or more, I think fall into that category. Yeah, That's my understanding to the best of my knowledge, but it is complicated. Sounds about what I've understood. Yeah. yeah. So in summary, I guess what we've spoken about so far is the outlook's not great. There's going to be some significant challenges when things um, turn back on. For businesses to survive, it's all going to be about cutting costs as much as they can, increasing productivity and efficiency, starting negotiations with various suppliers and landlords to try and come to some sort of commercial arrangement that works for everyone. Everyone has going to have to take a hit for it to work for everyone's long-term survival. Would that be a correct summary of, of sort of what your thoughts are at the moment? Uh, correct, David, although I would once again reiterate push back as hard as you can with every single landlord. If you have not been open for a period of five months, during that period of lockdown, my view is that the landlord should receive zero in terms of rent. Okay. I know that's not the government's position. You need to take a very selfish approach to this. What works best for you? Your starting position should be zero and you should stick to that position of zero. Yeah, Moving forward in the rent... My view is you should again be pushing back on the landlord, saying for the next, for the duration of the period of the lease, I can only pay you 30% less than what I was paying you before. Otherwise, I can't keep my doors open. So the alternative is I walk out and you get nothing or I stay and you get 70% of the rent. But like you said, you've got to be in a position to pack your bags and go. If You can't negotiate. It, and Jake, then... it's a game of blink. You, you've got to be willing to not blink. You, you've, got to, you've got to let the landlord blink before you do. Mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> do you think in that situation you need to engage any legal advice or is it just a conversation to start with? It, it will end up being a commercial arrangement rather than a legal outcome. From a legal perspective, the landlord is in a better position than you are. There is a lease in place. There is a commitment to pay that amount uh, that's there. The landlord is in a far stronger position. However, the landlord will make a commercial call that they need your business there and they understand that they will need to take a hit to keep your business there. Yeah. Yeah. And it will depend on their margins. If they're covering their mortgage, maybe they'll be happy just to not make any profit for a month or two just because the bill's paid, 
you know, you've got a tenant and you'll just have to suck it up for two or three months until things hopefully right themselves. Correct. Although I, although it will take far longer than two or three months for the economy to find its equilibrium. Because I think no matter what they do in terms of, even if they said no rent at all, you probably find that 20% of people in shopping centres are just not going to make it anyway. So not only are they, the businesses that are going to survive are going to have to negotiate, another thing playing in your favour as someone that's going to negotiate with these people is the fact that they already are facing probably a 10 to 30% vacation Sorry, uh, vacation? Is that the right word? Yeah. No, I mean holiday. Mean, yeah, people vacating their premises. I think that they, would you agree with that? There's going to be a lot of people despite. Correct. Yeah. What makes a shopping centre a shopping centre is that there are shops within that shopping centre. And as a general rule, there's never an empty shop. You don't see a shop hoarded up. Hmm. If they have 20% of the shops that are closed up, people will not want to be going to that shopping centre. So the aim of every landlord is to have the appearance at their shopping centre, it's business as normal. They know well, well and truly that the only way that that will happen is that they have to take a haircut on a lot of rents or a lot of shops. Yeah. Mm. And make yourselves one of the ones that does not pay the rent. Let the, let, your ten, let the tenant next door pay their full rent. You should aim for 0%. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things that, that we discussed was the situation where people need to fund their business. So they may need to loan money from their own personal accounts or business personal business accounts or from other businesses to try and prop up businesses that David, are struggling. David, let me jump in right okay. there. Don't, don't do it. Okay. Do not put money in from your own pockets. If you have invested $200,000 into your business up to this point in time, assume that $200,000 is gone. The concept of not throwing good money after bad money. My strong recommendation is every time you go to put a dollar into your business, ask yourself, what is the certainty of you getting that $1 back? You should treat that like a new investment. Don't try to save the existing business by putting more money into it. Because in all likelihood, if you're throwing money into a business to prop it up, that business will not survive in the long term. Mm. Yeah, it's going to eat into your you know, your savings for a rainy day, your kids' school fees, all of that stuff that needs to be covered somehow. You can't plough into a business that potentially doesn't have a future. Let's look at the typical person, a typical business owner. They might have $50,000 sitting in their savings somewhere. If they put that $50,000 into this business, it means potentially they can't pay their own mortgage on their home. They can't pay their rent. They can't buy groceries. What is more important is to tuck that money aside for a rainy day rather than without any thought process, just throwing that money into the business to save it. The business must prop itself up. In these times, people are panicked. They're scared. And then there's also the emotional attachment that you might have to your business. You've put in not only money, but time, your intellectual property, the relationships you've built with people, just the, the connection you have to that business. So... It's very easy to say, don't put money in, but I've been in that situation before where you do have to personally fund a business and it's, it's very scary and you feel, you feel like you're giving up 
if you don't put the money in. It, it's very confronting. But mm. as Bobak was saying, it, it's I sort of use the analogy of someone at a poker machine. They keep throwing in that extra two dollars, that extra five dollars, because they're going to get they're going to win on the next spin. And all of it before you know it, you've gambled your whole house away. And that can very easily happen happen in these situations with people that aren't versed in, I guess, business business death or liquidations, and who have a very strong emotional connection to their business. It can be very difficult. In this industry, we have business owners who understand beauty treatments very well. What they do, you go, you go and you have a facial with them, you have a microdermabrasion, and you walk away and go, wow, that was magnificent. Unfortunately, we've never been taught business. Yeah. And this situation is unprecedented. It's not just in our life, it's in the history of humanity we've never gone through this. Therefore, people don't know how to react. If you have someone knocking on your door saying, I need to get paid, what I'm suggesting is that you not take that money out of your pocket and put it into the business and paying them. You're better off coming up with a payment arrangement with that person rather than putting your hands in your pockets to pay that person. Because if you put your hands in your pocket the first time, there's going to be a second time and there's going to be a 20th time. Don't do it. Yeah, um, I spoke to some clinic owners around the world probably about three or four weeks ago when this all kicked off and the lockdown kicked in and I was amazed but also sort of thought it was you know nice but kind of a bit crazy that they were paying staff um, salaries out of their own pocket and I was like okay that's cool like, it's a lovely gesture but how long can you sustain that with, with the doors closed? And in effect you're doing the wrong thing by your employees Well because they're, they're doing because the wrong thing by you as well. I mean, they're asking yes. for something that can't be given. Yes, correct. It, correct. But what happens? If you were to pay those employees for two months, three months, you can't sustain it longer than that, then you will actually have to let them go because your business won't survive. So the same employees you're trying to save are the ones who will end up losing their jobs. It is not a rational approach to the situation. I think in summary, you're both saying, take the emotion out of this and just look at the numbers. That's it. Keep the money in your own pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if people get to the point where they've made a rational decision or the decision has been made for them that they need to put their business into administration or liquidation, I actually don't even know the difference to be honest with you, so maybe you can tell me. Um, what does that process look like? Because it's very – that sort of word would strike fear into the majority of people listening to this right now going, oh, my God, what does that actually mean? Would you be able to just give us a, a relatively high level explanation of what that process is and how someone potentially can navigate through that to come out okay on the other side? Very briefly, if you are unable to pay your creditors, if you have made a decision, you are unable to pay your creditors, you liquidate your company. It, it's that simple a process, which means that the creditors don't get paid and an administrator is appointed who then in effect, negotiates with the creditors whether they get paid zero cents in the dollar or they get paid something in the dollar. Assuming you want to save your business but there's not enough money to pay all the creditors, you'd go down the process of administration. You would then do a deal with the administrator to buy the business back and you would pay your creditors a sum of money. That sum of money could be anywhere from two cents in the dollar up to 50 cents in the dollar, if not higher. But that's something that every business owner needs to consider, although it does have ramifications. The ramifications are your lease, in effect, is null and void. 
the landlords can, can walk in and take the store. If you have leasing on your equipment, the leasing providers can come and pick up your equipment. If you have personal guarantees, those personal guarantees do not disappear. It's only in terms of the debts assigned to the company or that entity. Right. What's the difference between being bankrupt and having to liquidate? Bankruptcy is in relation to an individual. Liquidation is in relation to a business. If you become personally bankrupt, that has ramifications for your credit rating. Uh, you need to seek the permission of your bankruptcy trustee to be able to travel overseas. And it's, it's, it's a situation that I, that I would avoid to the extent possible. Unless you have debts running to the hundreds of thousands of dollars in your own personal name, avoid bankruptcy. Liquidation, when you liquidate a company, not an issue. Whilst it does have a negative impact on your, on your credit rating, it's nowhere near as bad as being bankrupt. So sort of protecting your own personal assets and keeping your business bankrupt, but not Spot your... On. Right, okay. And what's the difference between administration and liquidation? David, I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not the only on that. Okay. So, it feels so like silly now. Have you ever liquidated a company? I have. So are you happy to expand or just explain what happened? Look, I, I did not run my businesses as well as I should have. Um, I turned around at one stage and I owed several hundred thousand dollars to landlords, suppliers, the tax office, Office of New South Wales um, State Revenue, and I could not afford to pay them. I did not have a choice but to liquidate the entity. And what it did do is enabled me to start again and reset my life at zero. Hmm. It enabled me to, to, to start again without having the weight of those debts around my shoulders. Yeah. yeah. And it goes back to what we were saying about don't dip into your personal finances to fund the business because then that does lead to bankruptcy. Had I done that, I would have been homeless today. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the take-home message here is don't be emotionally attached to your business as much as possible. Make calculated, rational decisions. Maybe seek the counsel of someone that's not personally involved in your business or someone that you know that has business acumen, a lawyer, and talk about a strategy on how you move forward from here, whether you make the decision to that your business can trade out of the issues out of the problems without you having to dip into your own bank account um, or working on a sound calculated strategy on how to navigate through say a liquidation or administration process to come out good on the other side and be able to restart your life without having to worry about debts. Would that be correct? Uh, spot on. Okay. Just come back to the liquidation process. So let's say you own a clinic, you've got, I don't know, some lasers and stuff. You've got some assets so those things can be sold to pay off your creditors? Is that how it works? So basically they can, but if you sell your laser to pay off your creditor, you don't have a laser to generate income. So, But let, let me give you a typical scenario. Let's say you have $100,000 of assets in your clinic and you owe $150,000 to your creditors mm. and you can't afford to pay them. What you would do is you would approach a liquidator and say, I want to sell the assets that I have. Selling the assets, will uh, this company can't afford to meet its liabilities. However, I'm willing to give you $20,000 for all the assets here. 
If the liquidator make, makes the determination that that $20,000 is fair and reasonable, you pay $20,000 to the liquidator and that $20,000 is spread amongst your creditors. The, so in other words, if they're owed $150,000, they get 20 cents out of every $1.50 that they're owed. Yeah. So they're getting paid something in the alternate, they get paid nothing, and you're able to reset your business. You start off then owing nothing. Okay, so just to be clear, when you liquidate, you don't necessarily close your door. Correct. Okay, because that's what I assumed. It was like a dissolving of the company. Thank you, goodbye. In effect, provided you, provided you do a deal with a liquidator mm-hmm. to enable you to buy the assets back, provided the liquidator is happy with that approach mm-hmm. and the price that you've offered is the highest one available, then you're able to buy that business back. Okay. So and, it's not all doom and gloom. There is a way out. Yeah. And, and I believe, going back to your earlier question, I believe that's an administration. Okay. So, so you're working your way out of the debts that you have. It's like someone having a horrendous credit card bill. You need to go and speak to the bank and say, look, I need to sort out some finance or a loan to pay this off, but I will do it. Mm. It's a bit like that. Or you, or you tell the credit card provider you can only give them 50 cents in the dollar and they will make a call as to whether they accept that or not. Okay. So for businesses that are going to survive this situation, what do you think they need to do to ensure that the customers that are still in the marketplace looking to have these treatments, that they capture those clients? How would you, how would you approach this? If you were running, let's not mention any names of businesses, let's just keep it generic. If you were running a clinic that provided health and beauty services, cosmetic injectables and so on, how would you ensure that the customers that are out lower, there come to you? Lower prices. Mm-hmm. Price propositions, in other words, sales that come and go, depending on what percentage you do those sales at, plus exceptional customer service. Okay. Again, not to name names, but in Australia, we have this sort of unique situation where there was such a price war that can people go lower? I remember 20 years ago, people said to me, prices cannot possibly get lower than this. 20 years ago, they were saying this is the lowest prices will ever go. Now, to give you an indication, at that stage, price of anti-wrinkle injections were about $25 a unit. Yeah, damn, I wish I was around Today, they're about, what, $10 a unit? Yeah. Thereabouts. Can they go lower? They've got a significant way to go lower. It's hard to go lower if you don't have the volume. Yeah, but maybe I'll rephrase that. Of course, things can go lower, but is it a sustainable business model to pay your staff, keep the lights on, et cetera, et cetera, make it a viable business? You, You need to run that business more efficiently. Mm. Rather than having three clients on the bed every hour, you may well have to have four clients on the bed. Yeah. Um, good, yeah. You need to go to the suppliers and say, I was buying the product off you for X dollars. I'm now willing to buy that at 70% of X dollars. This is going to go right throughout the system. Yeah. So it's not just the clinic owners. It's not just the injectors. It's all the way through. But what's driving that is that there will be fewer customers and those customers will want to pay less per treatment. Therefore, you need to go all the way down the line and pay less to others. Mm -hmm. It's going to be really interesting to see when we do open our doors. I mean, this is completely anecdotally, but I've had people desperate and messaging me and saying, I'll pay you double. 
I'll drive to your house. You know, people are desperate and obviously, you know, none of that has happened. But I think you're right. It will be Christmas for about three, four weeks and then it will just tail off as people go, hold on. maybe Just remember, there's going to be far fewer people in jobs. They need to be able to afford this service. Yeah. Prior to this and for a long period of time, we've been in full employment. Yes. When we come out of this, there will be substantial unemployment and people will not be able to afford to this, these services that they were having done before. Yeah, and it's not just unemployment, it's underemployment too. Correct. Yeah, so this is another st- statistic, and I don't know if, Jake, you understand that. So basically, unemployment means you don't have a job at all. Yeah. Underemployment means that you are working some hours, but not as many as you would like. Yeah. So people are going to be offered part-time positions, casual positions. So they'll be working, so they won't be counted on the unemployment statistic, I think this is but how it's America. still not a full workforce. So it's it's a little bit of a misrepresentation if you don't take into consider underemployment as well. I think that's how Trump's been fiddling his unemployment numbers. Mm. Anyone doing casual is suddenly employed. Yeah. By the way, just for the sake of... Uh, this discussion, I just Googled the difference between uh, administration and <coughs> liquidation. So, according to what I've just looked up, the primary difference between the two procedures is that company administration aims to help the company repay its debts in order to escape insolvency if possible, whereas liquidation is the process of selling all assets before dissolving the company completely, apparently. So, if anyone listening, that's the definition. The, uh, the end point that you need to decide on is whether you want to keep your business if you want to keep your business and you can't afford to pay the creditors, then you need to go down the process of administration liquidation. If you can afford to pay the creditors, then you pay those over a period of time and yeah. you keep your business. But the number one decision you need to make as business owners, is my business salvageable? Yeah. Or am I going to be throwing more and more money into this to try to save it? I mean, as this situation has evolved, David and I speak about this every day, but I think initially we were thinking, hold on, there might be a a bit of a good reboot to the industry at the end of all of this because, you know, some of the weaker clinics or the clinics, the, the sort of just existing but not really flourishing will go and then the quality... Uh, sort of better clinics, better run clinics who are more profitable will do better still. Do you think there's any merit in that statement or not so much? There is, but it becomes a process of time. It's not a question that clinics will close, but it's not always the ones that provide better service that survive. Mm. It's the ones that are better run financially that survive. So in the end, you're going to be left with the same quality of provision of services across the board, but fewer providers. Now, it will take three months after clinics are allowed to open before that major shake-up comes. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, in this industry, most of the people that provide these services or own these businesses are not great business people, generally. They're people that are really good at their craft. Say for an injector, for example, you might be an amazing injector, but what business experience do you have? Yeah. How do you understand legal processes, what, what, what your options are? It seems to be very difficult to find that combination of someone that's extremely good at doing their job, which is their craft, and then also running the business. So there's, And I think the challenge you're going to face is people are going to become very emotional. They're, when people are scared and panicked, they don't make sensible decisions and they're just running on adrenaline and fear and they'll be dumping money into businesses. They won't be looking at things from, I guess, an unemotional numbers perspective. I think that's going to be a big challenge. Yeah. Mm, food for thought, huh? Now, what we haven't talked about is opportunities that yeah. are available. Let's, yes. let's do it. Let's Perfect. talk about opportunities. Make me now, excited, by the way. Jake, you could be rich soon. 
So there will be clinics, salons available in the industry where you can go and pick up your competitors at a pittance. And by pittance, I mean pretty much at zero. There will be many people willing to walk away and you can just come around and take over their staff, take over the leasing so they can walk away. Don't be surprised. You can go and pick up your competitors, competitors who have 10 locations at close to nothing. There will be a great time for amalgamation, combining clinics, using the power of group buying to be able to reduce your costs and to be actually be, to be able to make more margin post-COVID. Yeah, it's a bit like um, when the market crashes, it's probably the best time to re- reinvest because things are the, as cheap the, as they're going to be. The, this will be the cheapest you will ever be able to pick up businesses for. Have a look at the number of coffee shops. Yeah. Coffee shops that were selling for half a million dollars, you can walk in and pick them up at zero. Restaurants where it costs them two, three, four million dollars to set them up, you can pick those restaurants up at zero now. So there will be a lot of opportunity, but you've got to firstly be willing to take that risk. And secondly, you need to be able to manage a multitude of businesses. Mm. Yeah, well, have every disaster, there's always opportunities that present themselves, but it's, are you ready? Do you have, are you in the frame of mind to take advantage of it? And do you have the money to actually do it? That's going to be. So we're going to see Bobby's injectables popping up. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, Jack. Very good. (laughs) Is that Jack and Bobby together at last? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one day so what would any sort of final thoughts or messages or advice you would have for anyone listening to this and again the majority of people that listen to our podcast are healthcare professionals doctors nurses beauty therapists and then also i guess customers as well i'll give a quick summary firstly push back on your landlord during the period of shutdown insist that you pay zero rent moving forward negotiate a lower rent of the order of 30% lower. Secondly, push back on as many supplies as you can. If you owe a bit of money to them, either pay less or pay that sum of money over a period of time. Your suppliers will be well expecting that. Thirdly, expect your customers will pay less money. Therefore, you need to have fewer staff or more productive staff to be able to manage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank and, you. And uh, yeah, if you feel like it's if it's business is not salvageable, then don't don't delay the inevitable and, and jeopardize your own personal don't financial situation. Don't put money situation. out of your own pocket into yeah. the business. Good advice. Well, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to come and have a chat with us and running through all these questions that I know are sort of probably burning a hole in lots of people's minds and everyone's a little bit scared and worried at the moment. So having a little bit of a, a rational. Uh, educated voice on these situations is very, very helpful. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you, you, gentlemen. Good to see you again. Take care. (laughs) Thank you. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests. 